The 2024 recruiting cycle is a crucial year for the Oklahoma Sooners at defensive tackle. We'll talk about that on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can read my work covering the Sooners over at soonerswire.com. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. And Josh, the thing that we've seen or not seen really from the Brent Venables coaching staff on the recruiting trail in their first two cycles is that elite interior defensive lineman. Now in the 2023 cycle, we might be able to get a, give them a little bit of a pause. And yes, they got a blue chipper in Grayson Halton in 2023. They got a blue chipper in Derek LeBlanc, but missed out on David Hicks and right now are definitely in the running for a guy like David Stone out of Dell City, for Zadavian Sims out of Durant, Oklahoma. But also, them Spartans have uh, rode their Trojan horse into Oklahoma um, and are trying to pluck away two important in-state prospects uh, right out from underneath Brent Venables and Todd Bates. So after not being able to land that five-star interior defensive line prospect in their first two cycles, Josh, how critical is this cycle for Todd Bates, for Brent Venables, and the Oklahoma Sooners? Oh, it's it, it's pivotal. I think we've said it, I don't know how many times that the David Stone of the world is the missing link for Oklahoma. I think that skill guys, you're going to find skill guys. I think you've signed a couple of skill guys in each of the last two classes. We haven't really seen it just yet from either Nick Anderson or Jaden Gibson, but I think that's right around the corner in 2023 for Oklahoma. One of those two guys, maybe both, have big-time breakout performances. I'm really excited about what Jaquay's Petaway is going to be for Oklahoma from day one. So the skill talent, obviously the quarterback that you're bringing in in Mr. Arnold, that's there, right? Even the defensive backs. You and I spent uh, last show raving about the defensive backs across the board that Oklahoma brought in. And, and that was, you know, remember what we said as it looked like Peyton Bowen had flipped away from Oklahoma that, you know, well, ah, it would have been the, the beautiful cherry on top. Well, Oklahoma got said cherry on top. And oh, by the way, the defensive back class that Oklahoma brought in and signed before that, John, in 2023 was already great. It was already elite. It didn't have that five-star Peyton Bowen to it, but obviously now it does. So you've done that. Linebacker, John, I think they've been recruiting like crazy uh, blue chip type talent at linebacker. I can't wait to see what that position looks like with Canix emergence this season. I think they've got a really good one on campus already. And Danny Stutzman, who's now a little bit older. So across the board defensively, I, I like a lot of what Oklahoma's done. It'll be interesting to see the transfer portal additions. What kind of a band aid is that for Oklahoma up front? But John, outside of Ethan Downs really, really progressing, right? And a couple of these guys up front really taking big leaps forward. Oklahoma needs to find that guy, especially on the interior, as you mentioned. And hopefully David Stone can be that guy. We thought it was going to be Hicks. 
it wasn't Hicks. Stone, I think probably most all of the chips go to the center of the table for him. And you, you mentioned a good point there that Todd Bates has done a really good job at bringing in transfer portal defensive linemen, uh, in particular Jeffrey Johnson last year, Jonah Laula for to a lesser extent, you know, getting to play some edge and interior. Uh, and then, you know, in 20 for the 2023 team, you know, bringing in Jacob Lacey, bringing in Davin Sears, like those, we shouldn't underrate those ads just because they're not high school recruits that, that they're bringing in. At the same time, it is the one position aside from a guy like Derek LeBlanc, Grayson Halton. I mean, yeah, they added blue chip talent, but they're not like the, I don't know, 300 pound, 310 pound, you know, space eating guys that are going to blow up the interior of the offensive line, make plays in the run game in the backfield and still be able to rush the passer. You know, they haven't landed the, the Dexter Lawrence yet. They haven't landed a guy like Christian Wilkins yet. A guy that's like no doubt going to be an NFL player. He's, he comes on campus ready to play. Could Grace Dalton be that guy? Sure. Am, are we kind of, am I maybe jumping the gun thinking that, okay, we haven't gotten that elite prospect yet. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm kind of selling short the four stars that they brought in because they are blue chip players. They are guys that are highly regarded at their position, but it doesn't, it just doesn't seem like they've got that guy that is kind of widely renowned as the top two or three interior defensive line prospect that they to add, you know, They've added one of the top two or three, four quarterbacks. They've added you know, one of the best speed wide receivers in Jaquay's Petaway. They added a guy like Keon Brown, who John Garcia just raves about. You talked about the linebacker class. You know, they added arguably one of the best edges in the class in Adepojo Adabare, and then one of the best safeties in the class, several really top flight corners. But the interior defensive line recruiting is just a, a little bit underwhelming as far as we just as we look at just the the star status of these guys right i've gone on record we've talked about it ashton sanders that's a dude i'm really looking forward to watching play john garcia talked about marcus strong and how he could be a player you know as he kind of came on late in the recruiting cycle so potentially unearthing some really under the radar talents at the same time like it'd be nice and it's going to be the thing that helps you compete with the georgia and alabama as a youtube commenter uh, was so kind to point out about Taylor Heim, like adding three stars is great if they are able to develop into elite prospects, but you have to be able to willing or consistently add those four or five stars and really the five star prospects on the defensive line to really start making that next level step to competing with Georgia and Alabama. And until we do that, it's going to be rough up front because those offensive lines are really good. They're really big. They're really strong. Unless you're able to add a guy, for the 2024 cycle, like a David Stone, like a Zadavian Sims, uh, maybe a Williams Nwaneri. Like, you gotta you gotta figure out a way to land one of those guys, if not you know two of those guys, to really solidify your defensive front. And I think kind of I don't know. There seems to be a little bit of a rumbling about Todd Bates. And shout out to our guy JP over at the JP and Trav show for bringing up a, a comparison between him and Demarco Murray. You know, after DeMarco Murray's first couple cycles in Oklahoma, things weren't looking great on the recruiting trail at the running back position. Uh, 2021 ends up landing a four-star in Seth McGowan. He has Relique Brown, the five-star running back, committed to Oklahoma before Lincoln Riley leaves for USC, but still ends up with Javante Barnes, Gavin Sawchuk in 2022. 2023 adds um, Caleb Hicks and Dalen Smothers. 
so things are trending in a really, really good direction for DeMarco Murray. We've yet to see Todd Bates kind of have like the similar splash, if that makes sense. No, I think that's a, a reasonable comparison. I, I do, uh, just in terms of the expectation at Oklahoma. Now, the difference between the two would just simply be before DeMarco Murray, Oklahoma's continued to land and land and land really highly thought of running backs. Now, were they getting Adrian Peterson and Joe Mixon every single year? No, but you know, you look up and down kind of the recruiting classes and while maybe they weren't getting that running back, John, I don't feel like they were too far down the board in a lot of people's minds in terms of the types of running backs that Oklahoma was getting to Norman. And then ultimately just the production you've been getting at the running back prediction uh, position in Norman. So the, Yes, the start of the DeMarco Murray tenure at, at Oklahoma as the running backs coach, it didn't net the you know high four-star, five-star running back that a bunch of people feel like, look, it's Oklahoma, right? It's synonymous with Heisman Trophy winning running backs and you know Doak Walker types. You, you should be able to get that guy at Oklahoma. And yet, lo and behold, yes, time rolls on. And guess what? You get you know one class out of the way, two classes out of the way. And then all of a sudden there's Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuck doing special things already at Oklahoma. So it's clear, yes, that several recruiting classes later, DeMarco Murray's found his guys. He's going to continue to find his guys. And hopefully, yes, that parallel does, you know, turn true for Todd Bates. And again, it, it John, it might just take one to, uh, to kind of flip that switch. Again, you, you hate to put all of your eggs in that David Stone basket, but it does feel like that that commitment alone could be gigantic in just changing the narrative around Oklahoma, well, getting a commitment from and then ultimately signing a, uh, a five-star defensive tackle. And if they're able to do that, I think it'll kind of reinforce the idea that they're trying to really prioritize recruiting in-state and hitting, hitting the home runs in Oklahoma – if they're able to land a David Stone and Zadavian Sims, if they can get both of those guys, I think it would definitely put Oklahoma over the top in their 2024 cycle. If they can get one of them, it'd be huge because you need one of those guys. You got to have one of those guys. You just have to, because they're two of the top players in the state of Oklahoma for the 2024 cycle. You got to be able to land the top players. We've allowed Michigan state and Mel Tucker to make too many inroads into Oklahoma now time to shut that down, close down the northern border, close down the southern border, shut it all down, east, west, landlock Oklahoma. It's Brent Venable's country, and uh, we got to see that happen. We got to see that take place. So uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about a game that we're most concerned about on the 2023 schedule, men, the game that we're not so concerned about on the 2023 schedule in the Big 12 after Josh talks to you about FanDuel. Ah, Super Bowl 57. L-V-I-I, L-V-2, baby, it's here. FanDuel.com backslash locked on where you can make every moment more. And that's also where if you go on over and get signed up and you place your first $5 bet, guess what? New customers, you're getting hooked up today with $150 in free bets guaranteed again when you place that first $5 bet. Uh, I can't wait for Super Bowl 57, man. Uh, obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, near and dear to my heart, but just think it's going to be a great matchup between Kansas City and Philly. The uh, Eagles right there, point and a half uh, favorite in this one, 49 and a half is your over underline. And we've got, man, one of these days, you and I got to plan this out and think about 
you know, some interesting props that we like. We're, we're getting oh so close to this Super Bowl, and we can maybe have a little bit of fun with that. You can have some fun with that, too. They've got uh, all of your favorite bets, but those fun fun little uh, player props as well, money line, point spreads, all the stuff you traditionally know. But, again, uh, some of those let's just have some fun for Super Bowl 57-type uh, wagers as well. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the National Football League. So I might be crazy, John. I don't think Bedlam's going to be altogether difficult next season. And I've sort of been humming this tune, singing this song. Am I crazy to feel that way? Just the sheer venom of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State probably playing the final rendition of this thing next year. Now, the the longer everything else goes in the orbit around this exit for Oklahoma and Texas, I mean, who knows? But at least for today, we still kind of operating under the assumption that probably next year is the final bedlam, right? So with all of that in mind, man, I just – I think Oklahoma State's going to be one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah, they don't really have a, I mean, a very great schedule. I don't know, I mean, how to best put this, but I mean, they're, they get probably wins against Central Arkansas, maybe against South Alabama, uh, which is wild to think. But Arizona State at Arizona State is going to be tough on September 9th. And then you look at the rest of their schedule, you got at Iowa State. Going to Ames is never easy. You get Kansas State at home. You get Kansas at home. Two teams that I think could beat Oklahoma State next year. You go to West Virginia, which, again, is a tough place to play. You get Cincinnati, which, I mean, who knows what they're going to look like in the first year uh, departed from Luke Fickle's era after he goes to Wisconsin. And then you get Oklahoma at home at UCF at Houston versus BYU. Um, I mean, if if Oklahoma State takes the step back that we think they could – then, man, I don't know. They could be looking at a, a situation where they're pretty much out of it by the time November 4th rolls around and, and they're hosting Oklahoma. So they may not have a whole lot to play for as a team. Now that fan base is going to have a whole lot to show up for. There's still a lot of vitriol. There's still a lot of animosity over Oklahoma going to the SEC, leaving behind little brother and uh, you know taking uh, taking the the big step um, to the Southeastern Conference. You know, it's like – it's like, you know, one brother is still in high school. The other one just graduated. He's going off to college. The other one gets real mad and cranky about it because he's going to miss his big brother. And yeah, I mean, who knows, man? I feel like the fan base will be more jacked for that game than Mike Gundy will be. Like Mike Gundy, I, I just don't know if he's got the heart for it anymore. Like if he's got the, the kind of mental makeup for the grind of college football anymore, it seemed to be really wearing on him as last season kind of wore on. Um, so it's not outside the realm like that. That is one of Oklahoma's easiest games. Like, I feel like that's not a stretch at all uh, considering how this past season went and Oklahoma state arguably got worse than they were this past year. And I mean, Oklahoma won 28 to 13, but it should have been so much worse than that. Like they were absolutely pounding Oklahoma state and Spencer Sanders and, kind of took their foot off the gas in the second half and, and weren't able to score, but it could have been a lot worse to me. The game that I'm looking at as potentially like the easiest game for Oklahoma is Iowa state. Now I know Iowa state's defense was really, really good this past year and probably going to be really good this year. Although there'll be sans will McDonald going to the NFL. Um, there'll also be sans Xavier Hutchinson. 
that's going to be a big loss. Those are two really key losses for him. We saw how much of a difference losing Brock Purdy and Brees Hall and Charlie Kolar meant and Mike Rose, how much that meant to this team. Now the defense was able to sustain their level of play without Mike Rose, but they lost some significant pieces on offense and their offense just went in the tank. If they had, you know, Oklahoma's offense and their defense, they'd have been a national title contender. Or if you, you know, you switch it. If Oklahoma had Iowa state's defense, like they would have been a national title contender. That's how good they were last year. But I just don't think their offense is going to be able to take a step forward and, be much better than it was this past year. Okay. And so then you get Iowa state at home. I think that's going to be uh, one of those games that just goes Oklahoma's way from the jump and they just jump on Iowa state and, and just roll in that game. So, you know, I think we both, I think I can see a scenario where Oklahoma state is one of their easier games, but for me, Iowa state, that's the game I'm pointing to. Yeah. They just, man, I, so many problems for them offensively that it's, you know, right now, even with as many problems as Oklahoma's had defensively, John, the fact that that game is in Norman, you have to think that Brent Venables and this staff, the additions that they've made one year into the system, I'm confident that at the very least, there's going to be some shape, form, or fashion of defensive improvement for Oklahoma and ultimately I'm not sold that that's the case for Iowa state's offense. And I know that they've made a couple of changes, new receivers coach that they've, uh, they brought in. I think they got a new offensive line coach that has been, uh, uh, I, I want to say he comes over from Northern Iowa, but it's been, it's been well received by some folks out there by 24 seven sports, a couple of places nationally. I saw that that listed, but to me, man, it's uh, the quarterback that I'm not crazy about at Iowa state. And I just don't think that they can outscore Oklahoma, you know, as many gripes or complaints as we could have about Dylan Gabriel and OU, man, I think they're outscoring Iowa state next season. So I, I'm with you. That probably is the easiest. And, um, you know, if not that, then it's, you know, like I said, Oklahoma state or West Virginia. So then what's the most difficult game on the schedule? And let's kind of take Texas out of the equation. Pre-show we kind of talked about maybe Texas was, Maybe the obvious choice there, but let's remove them from the equation a little bit. Who do you think is going to be the most difficult game on the schedule for Oklahoma? I don't know. I don't think that it's, uh, you know, on paper, I don't look at this thing and say that it's a wildly challenging schedule for Oklahoma. I know that Cincinnati won nine games last season. And oh, by the way, they're, you know, a couple of years removed with much different quarterback play, but having gone to the college football playoff and cracking that code as a, a group of five and they've had some NFL talent there, but man, uh, nine wins Cincinnati. I, I don't know that even that road trip s- scares me a ton necessarily, but uh, again, Oklahoma state, I think it's taking a big step back BYU. Okay. If Jaron Hall was back in the mix, then all of a sudden, you know, you think about, you know, the challenge of what Provo might have for you, but you know, that's not going to be the case there. TCU. I already told you, I think TCU is a big bounce back candidate. So and I don't feel comfortable saying it's Kansas, even though I love Jalen Daniels at the quarterback position. I think he might be one of the league's best. So I don't know. I mean, to me, to me, I guess I'll say Cincinnati because uh, they won nine games a season ago and it's on the road. And I'm less confident with what everybody else on the road for Oklahoma has. And because obviously we can't pick Texas. Yeah, I'm going to go with one of the new four, too, um, the four horsemen of Big 12 expansion. And 
kind of go with UCF, man. I, I don't know why, but that's kind of the name that just sticks out in my head. Uh, they were 31st in scoring last year at 32.9 points per game. They were 46th in the nation in, a, in defensive scoring at 40, uh, 23.6 points per game. Um, so it's an intriguing group. It's an intriguing team. They ran the ball really, really well last year. And that was one of Oklahoma's issues through for a lot of the season was their run defense, uh, whether it was the Baylor game, TCU, uh, Texas, Kansas State. Teams ran on them. Now, I think Oklahoma is going to be better defensively against the run. But if UCF can come to Norman and they can establish the ground game, get it going, uh, slow down Oklahoma's offensive pace and keep the defense on the field, I feel like that that's a game where they could kill the clock, take the air out of the football in such a way that it keeps the game close for them into the fourth quarter and then you know make a few plays here and there. And that could be a totally different game. Like they could come into Norman and steal one. I don't think that's going to happen, but just looking at the schedule as it is, I'm like, hey, UCF, they're a well-coached team. Uh, you know, Gus Malzahn, he's a one of the I won't say he's one of the better coaches in college football, but he's a he's a good coach. Like he's had a lot of success. He's had a good history of success. So going into and at the power five level. So going into Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium isn't going to be this big outlandish task for him. He's been in the big stadiums, played in the big games. Now he'll have to get his team up for that, but you have a coach that isn't going to be phased by the atmosphere or the environment of playing in a really hostile road environment. So that that's kind of a sneaky one for me too. It's interesting that we both kind of went to the, one of the new teams because I, I think it's easy to potentially sleep on one of those teams because Oh, they they were a group of five team last year. Oh, that, they're just from the AAC. Well, I mean, you could look at the AAC and call them like the the sixth Power Five conference because there was a lot of really competitive teams. What we saw what Tulane did this year and how they ended up beating USC in the bowl. Like the AAC puts together some really good football teams, and that was a really solid conference. Um, you could even make an argument it was better than the Pac-12 at times, or be- better than the, a- the ACC at times. Um, but a really intriguing couple games that, that Oklahoma will have to, you know, make sure that they win because those are you got to have them all, but you got to have those games in particular. So, uh, any thoughts on that, Josh? Before we turn the page here, no, I just think you know the Cincinnati game to me is so important for Oklahoma too because look, you you're going to cruise control throughout the non-conference portion of your schedule, and you get that first first legitimate. I know you had Tulsa the week before, but First scary road test going up to Cincinnati. It's their first Big 12 game, so you know that they're going to be all geeked about the experience to welcome in Oklahoma for said first Big and 12 game. they get game. good crowds. The Bearcats get good crowds, man. And for OU, I mean, it's going to be a massive event for them. So, And if you get through that thing, then like you said, I think we both agree Iowa State is one of the easiest games on the schedule. So all of a sudden, it sets you up to be 5-0 and unbeaten going into uh, obviously the Red River shootout, which if you win that game, then all of a sudden, you know, you start thinking about Big 12 championship game, getting into it, uh, college football playoff, whatever that picture would look like. And maybe you could slip up in one game beyond that. So I just think the Cincinnati game to me, not only is it to me right now where we stand, maybe the most challenging, it's, it's wildly important in terms of getting into that Texas game unscathed and setting yourself up to have the uh, the driver's seat path to the Big 12 championship game and obviously a college football playoff berth. 
And turning the page, we're going to talk about a couple true freshmen that might have big impacts for Oklahoma softball in the 2023 season as they look for a three-peat. We'll talk about that after I talk to you about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever. If you haven't tried it, it's fantastic, easy to eat, 100% covered in chocolate, and it tastes great. It's low-calorie, low-sugar, high in protein, low-carbohydrates. It's a perfect opportunity, a perfect meal supplement uh, it's a good workout energy boost. I mean, if you need a pre-workout, post-workout, you just need a chocolatey snack for late in the day. You're just having that craving and you want something other than a candy bar that's got so much sugar in it. Go check out Bill Bar. They've got great flavors. My favorite is the peanut butter brownie. Also love that mint brownie or the coconut almond as well. But they've got a lot of fantastic flavors. My wife, she loves the cookie dough. My daughter, she loves the coconut brownie chunk. So there's a flavor there for everybody. If you like the fruity flavors, you can get a raspberry chocolate. It's They're really, really good. You can get all kinds of flavors. You can try them all with their mix boxes. Or you can even get granola bars or marshmallowy type built with built puffs that have fantastic textures and flavors as well. Again, low carb, low calorie, low sugar, high protein, a perfect opportunity for you to add some good protein to your, your diet, to your workout, but go to built.com use promo code locked 15 to get 15% off your next order over at built.com. All right, Josh, the college softball season, man, it is less than a week away. Now the Oklahoma Sooners will open it up against the number 19 Duke blue devils in the Mark Campbell invitational. It's going to be a great weekend. They play several teams that are going to be ranked uh, that first weekend uh, out there in Santa Ana, California. So um, it was who I'm blanking on now softball. America um, had a cut five freshmen that they believed could have big impacts in the 2023 season. Two of which were Oklahoma Sooners. Um, Kirsten Deal, Jocelyn Erickson were both mentioned by Softball America's Brianna Bryant as true freshmen to watch for the 2023 season. Deal was the number one player in America, a left-handed pitcher um, who came to Oklahoma. She is, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, and we can just talk about her first, Josh. The Oklahoma Sooners rotation is stacked. Like Jordy Ball coming back, one of the best pitchers in America last year dealt with a little bit of a shoulder injury last late last season that kind of limited her. You bring in Alex Tarocco who threw 200 innings, had 300 strikeouts. And then, I mean, you got Nicole May who only finished 11th in the nation and earned run average last year and was, and was just 15 and one. I mean, as your third pitcher, and then you're adding Kirsten deal to the pitching rotation as a lefty, your only left-hander or one of, I can't remember if SJ Guerin's a left-hander or not. No, she's a left-hander too. Another true freshman, but Kirsten Deal, left-hander, going to give Patty Gasso and Jennifer Rocha maybe some options there to play some matchups because of just her potential. And we've seen that Patty Gasso is not afraid to throw a true freshman out there uh, in certain situations and see if what they're able to handle. Yeah, I'd say that because of the names you mentioned, it's going to be surprising if Kirsten Deal is a massive factor for Oklahoma in the circle this first year. But then again, we're just coming off of Jordy Ball stepping into Norman, taking the scene by storm. And oh, by the way, Deal comes in with that reputation as the top-rated pitcher in this class, the Gatorade North Carolina softball player of the year. So I say that because of what you already have on campus in Jordy Ball, what you brought in in Starocco, what you have in Nicole May, it's going to be tough to crack that rotation in the circle, but again, just might be too talented not to. And we've seen that 
Patty Gasso's not afraid if you're ready to go. If you're that talented, then she's not afraid to put you out there. And we're talking about somebody in deal that, oh, I don't know. And I get it's high school softball, and this is going to be a massive leap up from that. But 305 strikeouts? Are you kidding me? As a senior, it's just unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. It, at the very least, gives you the option to – throw a different arm out there that somebody hasn't seen, right? Because you haven't been pressed into probably uh, too many times having to toss the left-hander out there and deal, right? Because you have those options, but uh, it's just a wealth of riches, man. Wealth of riches. Yeah. And you don't see, you know, opportunities to play, you know, lefty lefty matchups very often in college softball because you're just riding your, your stud pitcher, you know, for seven innings or whatever, you know, five innings in Oklahoma's case, a lot of times. And, and so you don't worry so much about that, but this kind of gives you an intriguing option. to like, Hey, there's a, there's a batter over there that struggles with left-handed pitching. Cool. We'll throw Chris Kirsten deal out there and let her have an inning or two. And I think that's a, that'd be a good way to kind of get her involved early is just let her throw some, some relief innings. And it's also a good way to, you know, maintain, you know, manage the load that you put on, you know, uh, Jordy Ball and Alex Taraka, who are kind of going to be your pitchers one and two this next year. And, you know, Nicole May will get her starts as well, and she'll play, pitch a lot in relief as well. But whatever you can do to kind of minimize their innings early in the season, because you know you're going to be playing 60 games. So if you can and, and Kirsten Dill is ready to go, then you got a fourth pitcher that you can rely on that allows you to balance the workload for everybody. Now you still have your hierarchy, but it's going to maintain everybody's freshness. Um, throughout the season. And that turns us to Jocelyn Erickson. <laughs> what is it with Oklahoma and power hitters named Jocelyn? Um, another fantastic addition by the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, she figures to be in the kind of potentially in the catcher rotation or playing that designated player role might have some work at first base in her future as well. But I mean, she's somebody that you hear kind of the rumblings and she might actually be a part of the starting lineup early on in her career. Which again, we've seen we've seen Oklahoma with uh, position players that just have that special bat, and you know, right here in the the recent memory, Tra Jennings comes right in and is just you know powerful bat does all these different things uh, in the field, and uh, obviously can can hit to all fields. That look, if somebody's just has that immediate pop in the lineup and is just that good at the dish, then probably they're going to have a spot, right? Uh, one through nine somewhere. So, yeah, it sounds like there's a great chance that either catcher first base or, you know, if you get into that situation, you obviously could go the designated player route as well for Erickson. So, you know, you got what? The uh, Gatorade North Carolina player that we're talking about and the Gatorade Arizona player <laughs> that we're talking about. I mean, it's just Patty Gasso just brings in, hey, if you're the Gatorade – player of your state probably a good chance oklahoma is looking at you and probably there's a good chance oklahoma is going to land you too so here's what patty gasso said to, to brianna bryant of softball america she said about jocelyn erickson she can do special things for us like if you're saying that about a true freshman then there's there's a good indication that they're going to play and probably play early Here's here's her numbers from her senior season in Arizona, which Arizona, a really strong softball state. She hit 25 home runs. She hit 624. She hit 624 with 58 RBIs. That is an incredible number. Like that, that's people's slugging percentage in like that's a really good slugging percentage for most people 
for her, that was her batting average, just absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, you throw her, you add her to a lineup where one, she doesn't have to be the be all end all. Like there's no pressure on her at all to come in and produce early. Do you want her to? Absolutely. But it's not like you're throwing her out there saying, Hey, you got to be our cleanup hitter. You got to be our number three. We are relying on you to hit 400 bang, 20 home runs, drive in 60 runs and be Jocelyn Allo from the get go. No, you can be our seventh or eighth best hitter and still have a really productive season for Oklahoma because of the, the depth and the talent they, they have one through nine in that lineup. It's, it's a great, honestly, it's a great situation for her to step into where there's no pressure. It's just, Hey, just go out there, have a good at bat, put your best foot forward. If you strike out, it is what it is. You're going to grow from that. You're going to get better. And all they have to do is just worry, just talk up the good things, talk up the positive and, and do what they have to, just, you know, they'll put the pressure on in the right situations. And then in other situations, we're like, Hey, you don't have to come out today. We're not going to play you today. We're going to play Haley Lee in the DP role. We're going to play, you know, Alyssa Brito in the DP role. Sydney Sanders will play DP role. You get to play first base. You just like keep things fresh for her. So it's not like I got to come in and be Jocelyn Allo. I got to come in and be, you know, Tiara Jennings, who led the team in RBIs as a freshman. Like, no, you don't have to do any of that. Just come in and just, just play, have fun. You're right. And probably the person that'll have, you know, I mean, Patty Gasso is going to have high expectations for everybody on the roster. Same thing with uh, JT Gasso for any hitter in the lineup. But that being said, probably maybe Erickson will have the highest expectations on herself coming in this first first year because you're right. I mean, a lot of that, you have to produce this at bat. Well, do you have to? I mean, there's, you know, plenty of talented options around you. I mean, obviously, you'd love for everybody to click straight away, but the the benefit of Oklahoma is – even though you're not going to want to endure any growing pains at Oklahoma, because there's so much talent around you. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, if she comes into the lineup, as opposed to probably hitting third or fourth for her high school team, she's probably hitting seventh or eighth just because of how deep the lineup is. And yeah, you want to get on base. You want to get hits. You want to hit home runs, but you're not expected to drive in 90 runs like Tiara Jennings. You're not expected to hit 30 home runs like Jocelyn Allo did as a freshman. So, I mean, if you come in and you do it, great. Like, more power to you. I mean, we're going to have high expectations, but you don't have to. You know what I mean? Like, that's where I'm at with. It's like expecting a rookie major leaguer to come in and be like, all right, now you got to hit 330 for us, hit 30 RBIs and you know, or 100 RBIs and driving 30 home runs. Like, you got that's what you got to do. We need you to do it. And then you get a guy like uh, Billy Bean, you know, the guy that you know he struggled as a, the number one overall pick because he just couldn't produce. Well, you don't have that problem. There's no pressure. It's just go play. And what comes, comes. You'll get better no matter what. So uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of – and I think that part of my feeling on this is what Patty Gasso talked about in the spring last year about trying to keep the game fun and trying to make – the game, not the be all end all for these girls and, or women, I should say, and help them to have balance in life to where it's not softball, 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 24 seven. Cause she even realized that she herself was getting burned out about that. I still remember that article. Can't remember where I read it or, or the story, um, but it was just a fantastic read. Maybe it was Jenny Carlson at the Oklahoman. I'm blanking on it. Sorry guys. But it's just a, just a really great story about just balancing life 
And yes, sports are important. Obviously sports are a job, but also realizing like you can't be about it 24 seven because it, it takes away some of the love. It takes away some of the, the drive. And when you don't have good balance in your life, it, it just upsets everything. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably where I come from on that. It's just like no pressure. Just come in, have fun, go hit a few home runs here or there. Bat 300 if you can, great. If you don't, it's fine. You'll get there. But uh, again, two freshmen that I, I could, I think are going to have impacts. Like Patty Gasso is not going to say she can do some some special stuff for us if there's not this expectation that she's going to get in the lineup early and have opportunities to do th- some special things. No, that's a again a good point about just balance in life and for young players coming into the program, John, as long as this program stays the way that it is right now, even if you're a highly, highly recruited, highly regarded signee with Oklahoma, because of the players that are in front of you, it allows you time to find that balance at the university of Oklahoma, which is no, no easy, small task, right? I mean, when you're, you're talking about class and, you know, being a OU softball star, I mean, there's, there's a lot to that. So that's, I mean, obviously that's beneficial. Yeah. And the expectations on the team are sky high. I mean, we're talking three P we're talking, could this team, how long could this team go undefeated? How many run rule wins will they have? Like the expectations are sky high for this team and, and they'll wear that they'll carry it, but there's enough veterans on the team to do that. Uh, people who've been around the block for several years now who have, have experienced those championship expectations and were able to carry them from start to finish uh, and come out victorious. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in and being part of the show. Thank you for subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Go hit it over on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell and throw a comment in there. Let us know how you feel about the show, what your thoughts are on Oklahoma's recruiting class, what Todd Bates and Brent Venables need to do to, you know, to finally land that elite five-star defensive tackle um, and what game you think is going to be the easiest for Oklahoma, what game you think is going to be the toughest for Oklahoma. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Thank you so much for joining us until next time. He's Josh Helmer. Follow him on Twitter at Josh on ref. You can follow me on Twitter at John nine Williams. You can follow the show on Twitter at locked on Sooners. We'll talk to you on Sunday night, Monday morning in your podcast feeds. Until then, Boomer Sooner.